and welcome to the Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust Wilder Lincolnshire podcast. I'm Melvin Pryor and with me again, Matthew Kappa. Hi, Matthew. How are we doing, Melvin? Uh, very well, thank you. What have you been up to then? Do you know what? It, it's a funny time of year, isn't it? That post-Christmas period. Um, you can always feel a bit blue and a bit, you know. Kind of... January's so long as well, isn't it? Long, I know, long months. I know, but actually just going for a walk at the weekend, it was really nice to see those first signs of spring and... and um, I saw snowdrops. Brilliant, you know, oh, really wow. nice. Yeah. Um, looking out the window, you know, at five o'clock, it's starting to be um, a bit lighter than it was. Uh, there's a rookery near where I live and, and they've been squabbling and building their nests. So, you know, even in the darkest depths of winter, there are signs that, that spring is coming, which is really nice. A couple of days before the big garden bird watch, I had a flock of long-tailed tits on the feeders. Must have been eight or nine of them. They didn't come back, of course, for the weekend for me to include them in the count. But is it usual to see them in a flock? Yeah, they never come back on big garden bird watch day, do they? They, they, they <laughs> seem to put it in their diaries every year to kind of just disappear from your garden for that for that hour as you sit there forlornly. Um, I did the big garden bird watch as well. It was, uh, you know, a part of my kind of annual calendar so that was nice at the weekend but yeah going back to the long-tailed tits um eight or nine so that that's probably not unusual for long-tailed tits they um they go around in family parties so they will all be kind of related birds and um unusually amongst the british birds of the regular ones that we get breeding here they actually will nest cooperatively so they learn the calls of their siblings when they're in the nest as, as youngsters wow. and um, they can keep, you know, chatting and knowing who's who for the rest of their lives. And a pair in the spring, if they if they start to breed and they fail, they'll actually go and they'll help their brother or their sister to rear to rear their chicks. So so that's why you always get them in these family parties. They're, they're really cool. I, I think they're really one of my one of my favorite birds. They're such a good character to them lovely colors the long little tail they look like little flying lollipops <laughs> and they were lovely to see they were they seem quite happy i don't know they, they look a happy little bird don't they yes but it's not necessarily birds we're going to talk about in the podcast this month because we're going to talk about slowing down water courses and also partly man-made slowing down but also with the help of an introduced species after 400 years of not being in Lincolnshire. Yes. So um, we have natural flood managers, you know, incredible um, engineers of, of water uh, and watercourses back in the county after such a long period. And they are an amazing, amazing animal. And uh, yeah, you had some fun heading out and trying to see if you could find one. Indeed. I was looking for beavers um, I will say that I didn't see a beaver. I, I was informed that they are nocturnal. I'd be very lucky to see one during the day. But it was incredible to see what they can do and the potential for this particular area. And you've got a challenge for me as well, didn't you? Yes. So so Rachel in our, in our um, comms team um, back at head office, um, she she's well known for um having a, a poo quiz at the lincolnshire <laughs> show um from time to time and and kids come in and they have to try and identify whose poo is whose yeah so she was really really keen she wants to know what is beaver poo like mm. well i tried to find out as you will hear in our little report so we're in the ancombe catchment area near to brig on uh, Hannah Dale's farm. Hannah, incredible story here of rewilding. So what are you doing? Um, so 
My husband and I inherited the farm about uh, 10 years ago, sadly after Jack, my husband, lost his father. Um, it's a really difficult farm uh, to make any money on. It, the land is really heavy clay, it sits very wet over winter and it bakes really hard and dry in the summer. And um, for a few years we did try to farm it commercially without very much success and so we decided that we felt it could offer more to local biodiversity and to nature than it could to um, to farming and so we've gone down a route of doing something a little bit different with it and it's um, yeah so sort of a rewilding project now. And in the past what three to four years you've seen an amazing change in the area both wildlife nature habitat has changed completely hasn't it? Yeah, it's actually really encouraging how quickly nature responds when you give it a little bit of space. So in a very, very short period of time, and we've we've seen um, a doubling in the um, number of different bird species that we're seeing on the farm and a huge increase in the abundance as well. So, you know, not just the, the different types of species, but just more and more of, of individual birds as well. And same across insects. Um, we, we dug some ponds and we've had um, recorded 18 species of drag, dragonfly and damselfly on the pond huge increases in the number of butterflies it's just been really exciting to see the changes happening over such a short period of time now the latest introduction are beavers so how many beavers have you got now in the project so it's just a pair um, a male and a female they're two to three years so we're hoping that there might be more than two in uh, hopefully within a fairly short space of time but uh, time will tell so why beavers had you always had this in the back of your mind that you would like to introduce beavers to the project um, so beavers are, a, they're known as a keystone species and uh, the reason for that is that when you take a beaver out of an environment, um, it doesn't just remove that species, it has a knock-on impact to lots and lots of different species of plant, bird, insect, amphibian, reptile, all across the spectrum. And when you reintroduce them, the, the habitats that they engineer and the environments that they create are able to support a huge uh, diversity uh, of different species so um you know you've we've seen across the country lots of different rewilding projects that have introduced beavers so yeah absolutely we're really keen to do that and and um, we've consulted with lots of different people to talk about what the potential options are and we're really excited to bring the beavers here and we can't wait to see what changes they make i know you had your doubts you didn't know whether this would be quite suitable for beavers so what changed your mind um yeah i think the perception of beavers on kind of meandering rivers and um you know these beautiful um hillside streams and that kind of thing is is you know what you where you imagine to see beavers but actually and we did a lot of research before we brought the beavers here i've been on a trip to bavaria where they're actually living wild in the landscape for the past 50 years um, and i've visited a number of different projects as well like this one enclosed projects and actually they're hugely adaptable species and as long as you can provide them with deep water um, at least a meter in depth um, and lots of riparian trees willows and forage that they for them to eat um, actually they're very adaptable and they can pretty much set up home anywhere so here we've got um we've got a pond and we've also got um a, a dike that runs through this the, the site and we've already started to see them um building some dams across the dike uh, slowing the flow down filtering the water and changing the habitat within a very very short space of time i was really excited to see they'd been gnawing through some willow i think it was what was it like for you the first time you'd seen they'd been busy and active oh it's yeah so exciting we can't every day we're like coming up and seeing what's different and yeah that was really the first sign that we saw of them so um, beavers are really like willow it's a native species and actually for millions and millions of years willows evolved alongside beavers and they respond to being coppiced by the beavers by 
um, sending out really vigorous growth, lots and lots of different shoots. And um, that's really what the beavers like to eat. They take off these, so they're basically farming it. They're farming the willow and, um, and those species that are in, grow in this kind of habitat, the type of food that beavers like to eat, they, they want to be coppiced. So they've evolved to be coppiced and, and they respond in a really positive way. But what do they eat? So they actually, they do eat lots of the, the plants that grow in the pond, so the reeds and, and water plants and things like that, but they actually gnaw the bark from the, um, the, the willow and they eat the bark. Okay, yeah, and so that's what they eat. And then uh, somebody said to me, can you find out what beaver poo is like? <laughs> uh, and I couldn't see any anywhere. No, so, yeah, um, they actually just poo straight into the water and it's almost like sawdust. It just dissipates very quickly. And so, you d yeah, it's, you can't really go beaver poo spotting, unfortunately. <laughs> now, the other thing about it is, which I think people are concerned about, they are wild animals, but you actually keep them enclosed. And that's been quite key to this project, hasn't it? Yeah, so at the moment um, in Britain, it, you can't just release beavers into the wild. They, they can only be released into projects like ours. So we have a 70-acre enclosure. Um, Natural England specify the, the particular requirements of the fence and it's very prescriptive so it has to have an overhang it has to have um, a skirt on the inside to prevent them from digging down or trying to climb out out of the fence so yes they're very much um, staying within this enclosure and um, we have we do twice weekly checks all the way around the fence just to make sure that there are no breaches or anything like that but so far they seem to have enough habitat and enough within the 70 acre area that we've given them i was going to say it's a massive area to enclose isn't it yes yeah um yeah it's been a big project but um we're really passionate about it i think you know one of the reasons that we've done this there's just you know we've experienced such devastating loss of wildlife and diversity in this country and you know you read books and hear people talking even even a generation ago about what we've lost and i think um that's really been the driving factor for us we just want to see some of this coming back i was looking at an area a little while ago you were showing me where you sort of enticed the beavers to start building a dam and and they did what what they were expected to do didn't they yeah, so um, we did, um, along the dike that, uh, that runs through the site, we sort of built a bit of an artificial dam just to back the water up a little bit to give them some deeper water and a kind of starting point, really, because obviously they're coming into an, an environment that they don't know. And quite quickly, the water just cuts through those channels and the beavers have responded by damming it up and, and you can see where the water behind the dam is um, much higher and the water coming through it. And interestingly as well, not only do they um the the pools and the environment they engineer not only is that brilliant for lots of the different species the, the dam systems also filter water so the water coming through and leaving the site is a lot it's clearer and cleaner than the water that enters the site um, and the you know the other amazing thing about beavers is slowing the flow of water and retaining the water on our land um, will reduce the amount of water coming through and, uh, in flood situations and obviously as we experience the impact of climate change and start to see more and more of these flood events that's really important for protecting villages and towns downstream. I suppose with something like this it's a controlled environment you sort of semi-control where the beavers are building the dams and that's what perhaps some people might be concerned about if they are just out in the wild they could be building dams where we don't need them. Yes I, I mean I, I think for our purposes here 
Um, we have sort of started them off because that's where the dike is, but what we are now wanting to do really is letting them kind of landscape the um, environment for themselves. And I think what we've learned from other beaver projects is actually expect the unexpected. Um, but there's a lot to be learned from places like Bavaria where beavers have been wild in the landscape for the last 50 years. And, um, you know, that is just the same as here. It's a very intensively farmed agricultural landscape. And um, they've managed to find systems and ways to live alongside the beavers. And um, so there are, there are methods that you can use to pipe water through beaver dams so that um, as much as the beaver keeps building the dam, the water still escapes so that, um, you know, if there are drainage problems on agricultural land, um, they have specialists over there that if, if a beaver sets up a dam in a place that's going to cause a farmer or a landowner an issue they'll go and assess it and they have compensation schemes to um, compensate farmers for any land that's taken over by the beavers or if it really is an issue then they're removed and relocated and I think there's a lot that we can learn from that and you know hopefully get to a point where we can live alongside beavers and benefit from the massive um, improvements in water management in biodiversity that they bring without um you know upsetting really any anything else that we're already doing in the landscape well we look forward to finding out more and following the project here of rewilding but we're going to now find out a bit about the trust and what it's doing at uh, Sowdale to find out a little bit more about what they can do without the beavers so having left the uh, beavers, uh, we've arrived at Lower Sowdale and uh, James Forrester's with me. James, lovely babbling brook in the background here. And this has been created naturally, hasn't it? That's right. We're, we're standing um, alongside a, a big old willow tree, uh, which has collapsed. It's still alive. It's one of the kind of peculiar things about willow trees is they, a structural weakness can en enable them to continue over a longer period of time. So it's collapsed down, it's still alive, and it is naturally holding back some of the, the flow of this little stream that we're standing by. And a naturally created dam across the far side there as well. Absolutely. You can see we've had some recent um, quite high water levels um, after heavy rains and material collects alongside the branches. And as you say, um, it is, has formed a structure which is very similar to that that would be created by beavers. Why is it important to slow down the river flow? There is a concept called slow the flow and it is to do with trying to take some of the energy and vigour out, uh, out of streams by allowing the water to slow down um, and essentially reconnect the water with its uh, wider floodplain. And by doing so in the upper reaches, um, you're reducing the amount of water that will reach lower down uh, the stream system. So, And it means we hold it back and we can make more use of that water then, changing the environment, holding it back? It benefits wildlife, um, so you have more niches, more opportunities. You can hear the water babbling away at the moment, <laughs> um, so you're getting scouring effects, you're getting slightly slight, uh, wearing effects, the water is cascading over branches. But on other areas uh, where the branches are right across, you're getting sediment laid down, deposition, um, and that will create an, an, an environment for other uh, wildlife to, to be able to thrive. But in terms of human beings, if we can hold the water in the upper reaches, in the upper catchment, we're preventing it from hitting um, structures further downstream all at once. And this flows through the village of Bolingbroke, doesn't it? So uh, will there be advantages to habitation areas as well? 
Absolutely. It is, it is all tied in. It's, it's one of these um, uh, concepts that, as I say, benefits both human beings and, and, and wildlife and the, and the kind of wide, wider environment as well. What happens there? Because the course of the river, you would think it would naturally try and go the most direct route, but it's, it's going through, it's winding through here, and it's going to make it a fabulous place in the future, isn't it? It is. These little, these little meanders are exactly what we want to see. Um, we recently acquired a piece of land a little bit further up the system where the stream was flowing in quite a deep ditch um, and it was being hurried away and we don't really want the water to hurry away for all the reasons I've just explained. So meanders are good. Uh, I think you mentioned right at the beginning that um, the brook is babbling, um, yeah. which is a link to obviously Tennyson's poem, um, but brooks should babble. They shouldn't be silent and um, fast flowing. We mentioned here that this is naturally occurring with the, with the fallen tree, but in other areas you'll be creating your own man-made dams, will you? That's it. I mean, in a way, this, this little site where we're standing has inspired some of the work that we've done further upstream. Um, there's an American idea of a, a they're called BDAs or beaver dam analogues, which is a bit of a bit of a mouthful, where effectively human beings um, take on the role of beavers and put uh, woody debris into streams. Um, sometimes they have to be anchored, and then there's another little acronym that comes along, which is a, a, a POWs, a post-assisted log structures. Uh, effectively, it's just leaky dams. So we don't want to put in a, a solid impediment to flow. Um, but we want to slow the flow down, let silt build up behind the, the, the structure and, like I say, reconnect the, uh, the water to its floodplain. And when you're doing this, d does the natural environment take to that as well? Do you soon see other things moving in and plants increasing in those areas? Absolutely. We've got some lovely habitats here um, and this area where we're standing um, is a prime spot for, for snipe to come down and, uh, and probe for food. Um, there's another little spin-off as well. If you raise the water table slightly by putting these structures in, um, you refill the aquifers, so you refill the surrounding soil, and then during times of low flow, so when it, during the particularly dry summers that we seem to be um, experiencing more frequently, that water can then return to the stream. So you allow the flow to continue in the drier times. So strangely, you cover both options with this type of, this type of work. As James chatting with me from the Wildlife Trust at uh, Sowdale, really interesting comparing the two different habitats there. We've got beavers working on a private estate. We've got James working on one of the trust sites, Matthew. Yes, and it, it's it's really pertinent. I mean, I think we couldn't have timed this episode better. I mean, it was great to celebrate the fantastic return of beavers um, back into Lincolnshire. But you go back to October, we had a huge amount of rain. You know, our offices at Horncastle, they were flooded. We were under a foot of water on the day of our AGM. You go back a couple of weeks, um, we had another big storm system come through from the Atlantic. South of the county was hit with flooding. And so... Both of the things that you went to see really demonstrate so well the work that we're trying to do, both to create habitat. So beavers are amazing, amazing natural engineers, and they'll create those pools that are wonderful for frogs and toads. But also at somewhere like Sowdale, where you'd got that willow that had fallen across and some of these little dams that, that uh, James has put in, well, you've got the pools, but you've also got the faster little runs. They're great for the fish so they can spawn there. 
but it's not just wildlife. This is all about helping people too. So they're slowing that flow of water, holding the water back in the headlands and the, the tops of the tributaries, these streams, means that the water, when it hits our towns and our villages, it's less likely to flood them. But the thing is, I can't quite understand, why are we slowing down the water courses? Because a lot of people would think, let the water get away. It, it's, there's a lot of water, it's flooding, let it get away. Yeah, so if you can hold that water back up in the in the streams and up in the headlands of the of the um, rivers if you think about it when water flows through the middle of a town you've only got that river channel it's quite constrained and there's only so much water that can flow through in any given time and if the water all rushes down at once well that's when it's going to flow and, and it's going to spill over the top it's natural isn't it it's, it's basically like trying to put water into a funnel if you put too much water into a funnel it'll just spill over the top so if you can slow the rate at which water is coming down into that river channel, then it'll just basically go through the town down to the sea and it will stop our towns and villages from flooding. So it's really, really vital that we put in these flood management um, projects right across the county and our nature reserves are tailor-made for them. And it's certainly working at Sowdale because I had to squelch through the mud and the boggy sort of areas. Already things seem to be getting established in the area as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been with the trust four and a half years. My, my first day, uh, I had an induction with, with um, my boss, Chief Executive Paul Leroyd. He took me out to Sowdale. <laughs> uh, I squelched around in, in my wellies and um, promptly got stuck. Had to be pulled out of, um, out of the bog at Sowdale by the Chief Executive on my first day in the job. It was a bit embarrassing, to be fair. <laughs> but it shows you just how successful this work has been. And it's actually um, probably worth just mentioning that Sowdale um, is such a wet, boggy site. There is no visitor access. There's no public footpath through it. It is so wet. It's not actually a place that you would really want to go and visit. But it's just great to know that it's there and doing that fantastic job for nature and that fantastic job for flood alleviation too. Apologies, I couldn't bring back any beaver poo. I know this will disappoint Rachel uh, very much because that's what the challenge was from the office for me to find some beaver poo. Apparently they do it in the water and it just disperses, I'm afraid, Matthew. You had one job, Melvin, one job, and you failed at that. I'm, I'm really disappointed. Rachel's going to be gutted. She is, she is. I would have to sieve through all the water, and I wasn't prepared to do that. No, to be fair, that was probably asking a little bit too much, I suppose. Yeah, fair enough. I hope it's not going to be a theme that every time I go out, I've got to find various forms of poo, but who knows? Now, look, if people want to know more about Slow the Flow, what can they do? Actually, to be fair, um, members will be getting their Latwings magazine in... March, so that's our membership magazine. There's going to be an article in that all about Slow the Flow. So um, members can look forward to reading all about that. And if you're not a member, why not consider joining us? Now, the great thing is for next month, we're going out together. Where are we going to go? Yeah, I'm not telling you. I'm oh, not telling oh, you, Melvin. Oh, no. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was really disappointed not to be able to get out there with you um, uh, yesterday when you were recording out uh, uh, in the field. But I'm going to be getting the wellies on and uh, having a walk with you. We're going to take you to one of our flagship nature reserves. We're going to take you behind the scenes, VIP access, show you what it's all about. Hopefully we'll see some fantastic wildlife at the same time. No beavers guaranteed, though. No, no, but there might be some really good birds, I think. Might there. Looking forward to that. Matthew, thank you very much indeed. Hope you've enjoyed the second edition of the Wilder Lincolnshire podcast. 
Thank you for listening to the Wilder Lincolnshire podcast from Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow or subscribe from the usual channels. And please tell your friends and family to give us a listen too.